the 106th QuackCast, Disingenuous, Deconstruction of a Naturopathic White Paper. Science is the concept by which we measure our reality. I don't believe in magic. I don't believe in I Ching. I just believe in science and that reality. John Lennon, well, sort of. As regular listeners to this podcast are aware, I like to consider myself to be science reality based. I think the physical and basic sciences provide an excellent understanding of reality at the level of human experience. Physics, chemistry, biology, anatomy, biochemistry, physiology, evolution, etc., etc., provide a reliable and reproducible framework within which to understand health and disease. My pesky science may not know everything about reality, but day to day, it works pretty well. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy, Hamlet. Perhaps, but all the medical advances in my lifetime have not yielded new science, just amazing variations and extensions of known processes. I sometimes think the blog should have been called reality-based medicine, but science is the tool by which we understand reality. And while the tool is constant, our understanding of reality is prone to change. An understanding of the rules of the universe combined with an awareness of the innumerable ways in which we can fool ourselves and others into believing that those rules do not apply to us is part of what makes a science and reality-based doctor. Often I am told I need to keep an open mind, but I like to keep it open to reality. Not that I don't like fantasy and magic. It is a common category for my reading. I just finished Red Country by Joe Abercrombie. Great writer. And while I love the world he has created, I would not want to apply the rules of that imaginary world to my patients. Well, one exception. As Logan Ninefingers would say, you have to be realistic about these things. Fictional worlds, though, should be limited to the practice of art, not the practice of medicine. Part of having a scientific bent, I suppose, is an urge to classify. Supplements, complementary, and alternative medicine, scam, is such a hodgepodge of ideas and practices that they are difficult to categorize. Linnaeus, I am not, but in my mind I have come to classify scams into four broad types. Type 1. Total nonsense with zero prior plausibility. These are scams that are based on ideas divorced from reality, at least as I understand it, and cannot have efficacy and do not have efficacy. It includes, but is not limited to, homeopathy, acupuncture, chiropractic, Ayurvedic, Reiki, that's an appropriate term, Reiki, and other energy therapies, iridology, applied kinesiology, craniosacral therapy, water therapy, and on and on and on. Whenever I make this kind of list, I am amazed at how age cannot wither scam, nor custom stale its infinite variety. Shakespeare said that. Kind of. People who inflict these modalities on others may be well-intentioned, but as we all know, the road to hell is paved with frozen Type 1 providers. On weekends, many younger demons go ice skating on it. Neil Gaiman. Sort of. 
All type 1 scams are useless, non-reality-based magic. I would think that anyone who proposes any type 1 scam for diagnosis and treatment should be kept as far away of providing medical care as feasible. Now, one of the things that ruins the flow of a podcast or writing is saying, in my opinion. I hate saying, in my opinion, after a sentence. I say it out of paranoia, but it is repetitive. So, everything in this particular podcast and all my podcasts at the end of the day are, in my opinion. This is all my opinion. Opinion, opinion, opinion. With a little humor. But it's opinion. So let's move on, shall we? That way I don't have to keep saying, in my opinion. Type 2 are those scams that may or may not have efficacy. These are various herbs whose reasons for use are often historical or related to aggressive marketing. The prior plausibility that a given herb will actually have efficacy for a given disease is small, but not zero. And occasionally an herb or supplement like red rice is discovered to have an actual active ingredient in effect. Unlike pharmaceuticals, the actual contents of most herbs may be unknown, and efficacy is based on experience. And I stand by my opinion that, when it comes to therapeutic interventions, the most dangerous words a healthcare provider can utter are, in my experience. Type 3. Those scams where there is a little efficacy in a test tube or a very badly done small study and the results are blown out of all proportion to its real effect. The effects are perhaps real, often small, and usually not clinically relevant. Green coffee beans for weight loss are a recent example. Thank you very much, Dr. Oz. And type 4 are the scams that are not scams at all. Diet and exercise, for example. Diet and exercise are often part of the marketing of scams and scam practitioners, but there is nothing alternate about diet or exercise as such. Reality-based doctors generally avoid type 1 scams and may have a nodding acquaintance with type 2 or 3. We all recognize the importance of diet and exercise, although implementation will vary. Natural paths, by contrast have a goblet of reality-based education in a sea of fantasy. I have discussed naturopathic education before. The result was that one of the faculty at the local naturopathic school, I forget which one, it's somewhere on my desk, wrote a letter to my boss obliquely complaining about me. Figures. Didn't write to me. Oh no, went straight to my boss. I became interested in scams early in my practice when I was called to see a leg infection. What it was was a dead leg, wet gangrene, with that horrible smell only rotting human flesh can produce. It was attached to a 24-year-old girl who had had an osteosarcoma of her leg, and rather than being cured with amputation, she went to a naturopath who said she could be cured by, among other things, drinking alkaline water and herbs. It didn't. She refused surgery by us as well. She had been brought in by her mother when she became unresponsive, but perked up with some intravenous fluids, letting us know that her naturopath had assured her that he could cure the tumor, that the rotten leg was her body rejecting the tumor. That night, the tumor, or perhaps the infection, eroded into a major artery. Then she bled to death. 
That is my idea of the archetype naturopathic care. I have long been of the opinion that you can judge a person by the company they keep. The naturopathic education at my local school includes hydrotherapy, buckets of homeopathy, kidong, colonics, the nature cure, herbs, and botanicals. Anyone who thinks homeopathy is appropriate therapy for anything but thirst is, in my opinion, unfit to care for others. Naturopaths are divorced from reality as I understand it. Once in practice, naturopaths can expand their practice into other areas that are, in my opinion, worthless. Consider these Northwest NDs. Kevin Wilson does spinal manipulation. I prescribe many herbs, specific nutrients at therapeutic doses, and homeopathic remedies. Some patients are candidates for therapies such as vitamin and mineral cocktails, dilute hydrogen peroxide for infections, and soon chelation therapy for chronic cardiovascular disease. Bill Walter does detoxification coaching. Quote, nearly everybody can benefit from nutritional counseling, stress reduction training, or gentle detoxification. Kelly Fitzpatrick does intravenous therapy, such as high-dose vitamin C. Liz Dickey has an emphasis on homeopathy. Hilary Andrews treats autism by rebalancing the central nervous system with drainage. I actually do not know what that is. When I look up rebalancing and drainage, I get a hodgepodge of different sites. So I'm not exactly certain what it is, although none of the sites I went to made any sense to me. And Dawson Farr does prolotherapy, detoxification, and vitamin injection therapy. Others offer wide-range testing for, quote, food allergies, hepatic detoxification, heavy metal analysis, pesticide and solvent exposure panels, hormone saliva test, and a comprehensive diagnostic stool panel. I cannot tell offhand if these specific testing panels actually represent valid examinations of patients, and for all I know, they could be fine, but color me skeptical. Because I have seen no end of wonky infectious disease testing used by naturopaths for Lyme and the use of, for example, live blood analysis, which I've talked about in other podcasts. For example, there was the time the naturopath diagnosed a patient with a bacterial bloodstream infection based upon live blood analysis and offered the patient an expensive colonic detox as the cure. Not antibiotics, mind you. After spending hundreds of dollars for out-of-pocket testing, the patient saw me for a second opinion before spending several hundred dollars more on the colonic detox. The patient's symptoms were due to asthma, and he improved nicely with an inhaler. Another great naturopathic diagnosis. So, why did I choose those particular naturopaths as examples of interesting practice? Because they are the authors of Naturopathic Primary Care, a white paper to help regulators, lawmakers, and administrators in Oregon address PCP shortages using naturopathic physicians. PCP here is not fencyclidine. It is primary care physicians, although I think you'd be taking PCP to get those for a PCP. As Jan Bellamy discussed at Science-Based Medicine, 
there is an ongoing political debate over whether naturopaths should be credentialed as part of the Oregon Health Plan. They shouldn't. The white paper suggests we should include people trained in therapies not based on reality and science and offering those therapies, again, not based in reality or science, as primary care physicians. I suggest that would be a bad idea. From the introduction of the white paper, quote, as both the Affordable Care Act and Oregon's own health care transformation move into full implementation, there has been much discussion about how to address the shortage of primary care providers. Many possible solutions have been proposed in response to this crisis, including the use of non-MD practitioners in helping meet Oregon's primary care needs. Oregon is in an excellent position of having a pool of highly trained non-MD primary care providers already licensed by the state and with the scope of practice and formulary needed to practice as primary care physicians. That's for pathic doctors? This document offers clarity and insight to decision makers, medical directors, and insurance administrators on the role that naturopathic medicine could play in serving Oregon's population. It can serve as a roadmap for Oregon's new coordinated care organizations and healthcare exchange insurers on how to effectively integrate naturopathic physicians to help meet the triple aim, better health, better care, lower cost, end of quote. As we will see, the response to that is not. What follows in the white paper is an impressive spin for what it doesn't mention that naturopaths have severely inadequate training in reality-based medicine, and it makes them unfit to be primary care medicine providers. They forgot to mention that the basis of their practice is nonsense. The initial description of naturopaths and their qualifications looks good on paper. Upon closer inspection, it resembles a Melanesian cargo cult. From a distance, it looks like soldiers and planes and radio and all the accoutrement of modern industrial society. But on closer inspection, everything is made of twigs and vines, the form without the function. So too with the white paper. The overview looks good. Examined in detail, naturopathy's but a walking shadow a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more, I wish. It is a tale told by an integrated practitioner, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Shakespeare, kind of. They start with a description of naturopathy. Quote, emphasize prevention and self-care as a cornerstone of health. Focus on patient-centered care, addressing the determinants of health and treatment plans. Prioritize a therapeutic order that begins with minimal intervention and proceeds to higher intervention. And address the underlying cause of the condition rather than focus solely on symptomatic treatment. End of quote. That sure sounds good until you consider the tools that are used to apply that philosophy. Homeopathy acupuncture, hydrotherapy, chelation therapy, live blood analysis, cranial sacral therapy, flower essences, the nonsense that is often the subject of this blog, the twigs and vine equivalent of medicine. I entered Portland naturopathic physician into Google and went to site after site. I could not find one that didn't offer at least one non-reality based therapy. 
which is no surprise given that the raison d'etre of the entire field is an attempt to apply fantasy to reality. I will admit I could not find an office where they actually used equipment made of twigs and vines, but then I was speaking metaphorically, not literally. The same reasonable-sounding overview of the naturopathic education. Quote, Didactic education in biomedical, diagnostic, and clinical sciences. They get biomedical and diagnostic sciences, physiology, anatomy, biochemistry, microbiology, pathology, immunology, etc., Clinical sciences, clinical laboratory and physical diagnosis, gastroenterology, pharmacology, rheumatology, endocrinology, neurology, gynecology, cardiology, etc. ology. And therapeutics, botanical medicine, nutrition, homeopathy, physical medicine, counseling, pharmacology, and minor surgery. Hopefully that doesn't mean operating on people under age 18. At our local naturopathic school, they get 72 hours of pharmacology education. They get 144 hours in training in homeopathy. They also have the opportunity to do electives to broaden their knowledge with 144 hours in homeopathy, 36 hours in Qigong, 26 hours in Ayurveda, 24 hours in energy work, and 12 hours in colonics. That's not what I would call the basis of a sound primary care education. If there's a litmus test by which you could judge magic versus reality, I would say it is homeopathy. Perhaps the most popular and arguably the rankest of rank nonsense. If a practitioner thinks homeopathy is reasonable, run. And here, as an example of learning in ND school, is a common treatment for nasal stuffiness, a common recommendation in the naturopathic armamentarium. Quote, directions. This is for stuffy nose, mind you. Take a pair of cotton socks and soak them completely in cold water. Make sure to wring out the socks thoroughly so they do not drip. Warm your feet. This is very important as treatment will not be effective and could be harmful if your feet are not warmed first. Soaking your feet in warm water at least 10 minutes or taking a warm bath can accomplish warming. Dry the feet off with a dry towel. Put the cold, wet socks on the feet. Cover the socks with thick wool socks. Go directly to bed. Avoid getting chilled. Keep the socks on overnight. You will find that the wet cotton socks will be dry by morning. The effects of the wet sock treatment? This treatment acts to reflexively increase the circulation and decrease congestion in the upper respiratory passages, head, and throat. It has a sedating action, and many patients report that they sleep much better during the treatment. This treatment is also effective for pain relief and increases the healing response during acute infections. Yeah, that is inexpensive. It's patient-centered, it's self-care, it's minimalist, and it's inexpensive. It is also divorced from physiology and reality and is, for lack of a better word, stupid. But it is not hard to find weird naturopathic approaches for any disease. All you need is Google and search terms. My first hit for naturopathy and asthma was, quote, Some doctors recommend taking baths with a cup or so of 3% hydrogen peroxide in the water to bring extra oxygen to the entire surface of the skin, making the lungs somewhat less oxygen-hungry. 
end quote. Say what? I remember riding the bus to medical school and a naturopathic student noted I was reading an anatomy text and struck up a conversation with me. Warts, he informed me, are not due to a virus, but the body walling off toxins and expelling them. I thought he was either misinformed or a lunatic. Turns out that the root cause of warts is toxins, at least in the fantastical world of some naturopaths. So much for finding the root of diseases. It's almost like the old joke. How do you tell if a naturopath is speaking unscientific nonsense? If his mouth is open. They then note that naturopaths are required to have 45 hours a year in continuing medical education. Sounds good. At least they are keeping educated. But in what? The naturopathic school is offering a CME in integrative oncology. As I mentioned before, if you integrate cow pie with apple pie, the cow pie is not improved. The apple pie is made worse. Included in these days' education is some lectures by Dr. Joseph Pizzorno, who talks about diet-induced cellular acidosis and how this phenomenon is documented to contribute to chronic diseases, including cancer, osteoporosis, diabetes, and more. As the summary states, quote, diet-induced cellular acidosis is real and clinically significant. Cellular acidosis induces mitochondrial dysfunction, calcium loss from bones, increased risk of kidney stones, increased risk of cancer. The list is long and substantiates the long-held belief that an alkaline diet is self-promoting. Of particular significance in cancer, lower pH levels in the extracellular fluid increase intracellular calcium, which induces carcinogenic pathways and promotes invasiveness in metastasis. Now, I talked about the alkaline diet a couple podcasts ago. Maybe I will get to see another death from wet gangrene from progressive cancer treated with alkaline water instead of effective therapies. I hope not. That one was a bummer. The CME also includes Ayurvedic medicine and acupuncture. Maybe it should be CNE instead of CME. The N for, I don't know, naturopathic or perhaps nonsense. Since it certainly does not appear to include education in the science-based biomedical sciences that my job requires, collecting more vines and twigs into a simulation is unlikely to improve medical care. The white paper also notes that, like MDs, there are residency training for naturopaths. Quote, Accredited residencies are available for one, two, and three-year terms. Currently, all residencies are privately funded. Consequently, residency opportunities are not available for all graduates. End of quote. That is an understatement. I counted 55 residencies on the AANMC website, and there were 507 first-year naturopath students enrolled in 2007 to 2008. So at best, 11% will have training beyond naturopathic school and a mere one or two years at that. I practice in a teaching hospital with medical students and residents, and not a one is ready to take care of patients on their own after medical school. Not even close. And they have had to learn reality-based medicine. 
After four years of reality-based medical school, MDs have a residency and a fellowship where we have years of supervised training. For me, it was three years of internal medicine, two years of ID fellowship, and two years of post-fellowship training, all under the watchful eyes of senior physicians. The majority of naturopaths go from school to practice. Next time you see a naturopath, remember it is the same as seeing an unsupervised medical student and a medical student extensively schooled in type 1 scams. Not that a residency under the watchful eye of another magician could likely improve their practice. Sometimes men change for the better. Sometimes men change for the worse. And often, very often, given time and opportunity, he waved his flask around for a moment and then shrugged. They change back. Joe Abercrombie, best served cold. Inadequate training and experience, even in their own area, much less in real medicine, and then thrown into the world under the mistaken impression that they are competent to care for people. It makes the next part of the white paper scary. The naturopathic scope of practice. Naturopathic doctors are licensed to work as independent providers in Oregon. They do not require supervision or oversight by other providers and they are licensed to diagnose, prevent, and treat disease, perform physical exams, including oral, vaginal, and anal, order x-rays, electrocardiograms, ultrasounds, CTs, MRIs, and laboratory tests, draw blood and perform clear wave lab tests in office, perform minor surgery, provide prenatal, interpartum, and postpartum care, provide injections, including vaccinations and IV medications, Prescribe all natural and pharmaceutical medications needed in a primary care setting. Are eligible for DEA numbers for schedules 2 through 5. End of quote. Yeah, that's just what I want a poorly trained, unsupervised medical student to do. As we have seen, it is not the broad concepts that make the scope of naturopathic practice problematic. It is the inadequate training the experience and fanciful modalities used that make the ND unfit to care for humans in health and disease. The white paper makes it sound like real medicine, but men will change back. Quote, standard of care and competencies. There is no naturopathic specific standard in care. Naturopathic doctors are taught and held to the same standards of care as conventional providers. End of quote. Yeah, right. Wander the web looking at naturopathic practices. There certainly is a complete lack of standards since any and all non-reality-based practices seem to be fair game. Treatment Guidelines Condition-specific treatment guidelines present more of a challenge with the naturopathic physicians than conventional providers. Each person's treatment is individualized, taking into consideration conventional treatment guidelines but combined with a complex array of natural and conventional mortalities that may vary among providers. Yeah, it's always harder to follow guidelines when you have no standard of care and their inadequate training would make them hard to understand and much of the tools of their trade are in direct opposition to science-based reality. Plus, when you're making things up as you go along, since there are no standards, it's hard to know what you're going to do in terms of treatment guidelines. There is also now a Naturopathic Academy of Primary Care Physicians to certify naturopaths as primary care naturopathic physicians.
I can't see how a naturopath with inadequate training in biomedicine, immersed in type 1 scams, little or more likely no postgraduate training in medicine can examine, diagnose, prescribe, and treat patients as family physicians. Family practitioners, besides four years of medical school, have three years of supervised residency and have continued an ongoing real biomedical education. I suppose this is why the joke is that ND stands for not a doctor. Quote, proof is boring. Proof is tiresome. Proof is an irrelevance. People would far rather be handed an easy lie than search for a difficult truth, especially if it suits their own purposes. Joe Abercrombie, Last Argument of Kings. What little data there is suggests that utilizing a naturopath for primary care is associated with worse care. The medical literature shows that they get less cancer screening, less mammography, and less chlamydia screening. But consider they are trained in magic rather than modern bioscience, why would I expect otherwise? There's a big pause here. I had to go buy a new computer. I was drinking milk when I read the next section and did an impressive spit take onto my keyboard, shorting out my computer. This is what I read. Quote, immunizations. Naturopathic doctors are educated according to public health laws of the state and understand the role that vaccinations play in preventing communicable diseases. But because naturopathic care is by definition patient-centered, many NDs will customize the vaccination schedule to address the patient's risk factors, environment, and personal beliefs. See Appendix A. The white paper for Appendix A says, quote, how NDs can help Oregon increase immunization rates. Oregon naturopathic physicians can help CCOs provide care for more patients and may in fact assist in increasing rates of immunization in populations who are otherwise completely opt out, end quote. It is no surprise that the reality, at least the published literature, does not match the spin given the long-standing antipathy towards vaccine in large sections of the naturopathic community. Naturopathic care leads to fewer vaccinations and an increase in vaccine-presentable illnesses, at least according to the medical literature. Quote, outcomes included receipt of children aged 1 to 2 years of four vaccine combinations covering seven diseases and acquisition of vaccine-preventable diseases by enrollees aged 1 to 7. Children, were significantly less likely to receive each of the four recommended vaccinations if they saw a naturopathic physician. Children age 1 to 17 were significantly more likely to be diagnosed with a vaccine-preventable disease if they received naturopathic care. End of quote. And this should be as no surprise because as naturopathic students move through their education, their support for vaccination declines. We found that only 12.8% of respondents would advise full vaccination. However, 74% of the respondents would advise partial vaccination. Importantly, both willingness to advise full vaccination and trust in public health and conventional medicine decreased in students in the later years of the program. The hesitancy of patients to get the recommended vaccines 
may be fed in part by the anti-vaccine nonsense perpetuated by many NDs. Like Hillary Andrews, one of the authors of the white paper on vaccines and autism, quote, While the measles, mumps, rubella, or MMVAR vaccine has been strongly linked to the onset of autism, I believe the prior vaccinations also play a cumulative role in this disease. Current vaccination schedules overload very young, fragile immune systems with a huge number of viruses. Readers of science-based medicine and listeners to this podcast recognize the above paragraph as not even wrong. Utter nonsense. Let's say that I am not so sanguine that naturopathy represents a way to increase vaccinations in Oregon, much less improvements in primary care. I get the distinct impression that the white paper is presenting information they think people would like to hear, rather than mentioning the unsavory and imaginary details that make up much of naturopathic practice. But when it comes to money, it is better to look good than to be good. Quote, It is imperative to note that naturopathic physicians are independent practitioners. Patients increasingly also turn to naturopathic physicians as a first point of contact providers and would refrain from care with provincial doctor if they cannot access their naturopathic physician. Healthcare in the United States is a mess. I hate it. I have no clue what the solution is. I hope for a single-payer system. I came to the conclusion a long time ago that sometimes there are no good solutions to problems, just the least bad solution. Right now, the healthcare is a mess in innumerable ways. A single-payer system will make it a mess in one way. If you have a problem in astronomy, you don't call an astrologer. Sure, he knows the names of the planets and the stars and has a good patter about how this system works. But astrology is nonsense. If you have a shortage of pilots, you don't hire a transcendental meditation provider to levitate the plane. At least not on a plane I would get on. And if you have a shortage of primary care providers, perhaps including those with inadequate training in real medicine, extensive knowledge of fanciful fields who treat cancer with alkaline water, and misdose diagnosis as a bloodstream bacterial infection, might not be the best choice to improve the health care of a population or increase their vaccination. The whole white paper is disingenuous, an argument by assertion, which is the logical fallacy where someone tries to argue a point by merely asserting that it is true, regardless of contradiction. Naturopaths have the knowledge and training to do primary care, not and so ends the 106th QuackCast. This is the 22nd of December, 2011. I'd like to take this opportunity to wish all my listeners a generic, non-denominational seasonal greeting. See you next time. Bye.